Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 247, for Monday, May 29th, 2023. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixorus, and joining me as always is Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. Hello, and if you would like to hear about flights, about driving, about travel, and weather, because we're British and Canadian and we have to talk about it at some point, <laughs> uh, then you should listen to The Render Distance. That is the extended version of the podcast. Uh, as we reminisce about uh, flights and upcoming travel, uh, you can check that out at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks. It's available to our patrons. Uh, we record about you know 20 to 30 minutes of extra audio every week that you get access to. And one of the other things that you get benefits for uh, as being a patron is the monthly Minecraft Hangout, which happened on May 27th, this past Saturday. You can expect that to be on the Patreon page a bit later today, uh, and that will be available just patrons, so that, that feed is just for patrons. Uh, there's also a link in that post that will link back to the live chat page with all of the thumbnails uh, to the builds that we talked about, which is uh, all kind of shared by our community and what they've been up to in the month of May in Minecraft. Yeah, and we're looking forward to the June Hangout especially because, as we'll hear in the news, we have a release date for Minecraft 1.20 now, so we're going to be seeing a lot more cherry wood, I think, popping up in some people's builds. But before all of that happens, let's talk about what we've been up to in our Minecraft lives. Why don't you kick us off, Joel? What's new on the Citadel? So in West Hill, I've been focusing on the keep as the last few weeks. Uh have just, just pointed me in that direction and uh, I was working on a bunch of different areas I'm, I'm getting to this stage now where I'm trying to embrace this like bouncing around taking something from a point of contention to a point of success uh, so I started off with the south wall and I pushed that out a little bit for a couple of reasons uh, it helped the bridge to the bell tower go from an even number of 10 to an odd number of nine made it a lot easier to just kind of decorate and design uh, I think we've all had that experience in Minecraft where you're dealing with something that you want <laughs> oh, to be yeah. symmetrical and it's like it's it's a 10 block wide thing. You're just like, I just it's like, whatever, I need to I need to up or uh, beef up the wall anyway. Um, and the reason I did that is because it helped separate the different tiers on the south side of the keep and help it look kind of like that layered kind of wedding cake, you know, and it wasn't there wasn't enough depth happening. And because the keep is all gray on that face. Um, for the most part, I was having trouble kind of distinguishing one area from another. Uh, and by doing that, I also had to expand the south wall that leads to the south gate. And so, and we have the room to do that. Do that. There's lots of room on the south grounds to, to expand this. So I kind of, I pushed it a little bit. Uh, and that kind of led to uh, looking at the east hall again and extending that south. So... What that did was, again, it gave me more room for more windows inside. It centered it in inside to have the hallway that was leading into it be then central in the entire room. So everything feels more symmetrical inside. I feel like it flows a little bit better. There's still a hallway that kind of goes around the corner, but it leaves the center of the apse and arrives at the center of the East Hall, which I think works out very nicely, at least for my kind of like brain that likes things to be lined up in the center of things and uh it allowed for you know larger windows i did some design on the windows i'm starting to get to the point now where i'm happy with where structures are located and i'm swapping out some of the final blocks i've not done any texturing but i've i've certainly decided okay this is going to be andesite this is going to be polished andesite this is going to be dark oak like that kind of thing and so it's nice to kind of have these color 
choices happening because then now as I'm walking around and doing the other stuff I can sort of just you know think about what I want to do for texture um, there's some couple of um, larger changes that are going to be um, very welcoming to one of those gradients you know like the things that start very dark and go very light as the thing gets taller it's really neat the way you approach this because it reminds me a lot of the artistic process especially with digital art i don't know how this varies so much from traditional hand-drawn art but you start with a basic shape and then you add in detail and then you add in texture and you're doing multiple passes over this thing and kind of like almost adding layers as though you're doing it in photoshop and i i find that aspect kind of fascinating as somebody who has either kind of shot from the hip in survival and just kind of built stuff and been happy with it or I've done stuff in creative where maybe I go, th go through that process, but I tend to doodle on sections of it when it comes to texture, and I tend to block out shapes every every so often, but then I'm not doing that all of the time. Whereas with this, it feels like you're really doing that with the entire structure and then going through piece by piece, adding the details that you need. Thanks. Yeah, I think it would be akin to the way that I would approach a drawing in Photoshop. I tend to approach Minecraft like that anyway. Like I do a box with a triangle on it and go like, that's roughly the right shape for a house. And then mm -hmm. I just back up and say, is it too tall? Is it too short? Like, does it, you know, is it? And then you check the widths and you're like, oh crap, it's eight wide. That has to be either seven or nine. You know, like I have to make a decision before yeah. I start filling things in. I think the restrictions here with the keep already being in place and having very little room to expand on the other sides um, meant that I wanted to make sure that these changes were going to flow correctly into one another. And I think that without the creative process, like the creative mode where a lot of people go and design something in creative first, if you're just doing it in survival, I think that this path, while it feels slower, saves you time in the long run, because I could just take this East hall and take it right to final. And then I would have realized I wanted to expand it by two blocks. Mm -hmm. Right. This weekend. And yeah. I did that, but I only had to expand stone and wood. That was it. Two block choices. And and after that, and after I was happy with it, that's when I put the glass in. That's when I put the the polished andesite in and decided where the roof dormers were going to go, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, a good point uh, or a good example is the new tower, the new East Tower. That staircase that I was having trouble with for the last, I don't know how long, um, it, it went from short tower with a, a a tall spire to a slightly taller tower with a taller spire like a circular spire as, as best you can in minecraft the kind of cone shape that people associate a lot with towers uh and then i just thought you know what i'm just going to try this i'm going to take the whole thing up to the exact same height as the spire as a solid square tower i've seen some concept art that i think that looks really cool in so i gave it a go liked it way more immediately despite having mm -hmm. spent most of the stream working on a on a spire roof and the different you know heights that could be but that whole time i wasn't building the whole roof i was just building like a profile like just a simple one block silhouette of it and trying to decide is that too tall is that not tall enough so the process is is slow going and it's something that um i i hope is interesting for people that that watch it's a lot of like flying back looking to see what it looks like and then zipping back up and making changes um, but ultimately, and much to my surprise, I decided to expand this five by five tower to a six by six tower, which I wanted it to get bigger because it just felt too spindly. I didn't have room to take it to a seven by seven and thought that would look too chunky because it would affect a whole bunch of other things. Like it's one of those re things where you're like, if I expand it in both directions, that domino effect is just like, that is 
like two days worth of work I just don't want to do. Yeah. You know, and, 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 it, and it also ruins things that I like right now. Like, oh, I'm really happy with the East Hall. I don't want to have to move it or change it or whatever. And so I decided to do a test and I just kind of like did the top of it and think, okay, well, I can, I can design the Marlins at the top and the battlement to look good at six by six. And it also opened up a real, um, opportunity with the staircase in that now instead of having a staircase go up inside of a three by three it's going up inside of a four by four which doesn't sound like a big change but when you're no longer hitting your head as you go around corners it means that you can do platforms whenever you get to a level that you want to enter or exit the staircase you don't have to have them line up perfectly you can have it go around for 90 or or 180 degrees before it continues up without bonking your head so all of a sudden my staircase inside just be became way more interesting as more dangerous there's a giant hole in the middle that you can fall down (laughs) yeah Uh, but but it it was a lot more fun to design and i was surprised at how much i liked this very stark tall tower now i did add a little bit of wall detail at the top which i've used in other places in the city i'm still on the fence of whether i'm keeping that uh, it's very plain stone. There's no texture on it at all. But that's the thing that I think that from the very bottom of it, I could work with like deep slate into tough into cobble and really kind of give this an interesting look all the way around. It's something I want to apply to the keep all around. And that's why I've I've not done any of that yet because I keep on bumping the south wall out by a block, putting in a tower that wasn't there before. So I'm kind of waiting for all this stuff to be final before I, I really push things together and add some texture. Um, speaking of inside, I did add some, some texture. Uh, I think I've shown this before, but the, the main hall has a very intricate pattern of basalt furnaces and, um, polished basalt all kind of like patterned on the floor. And that pattern got pushed through to the apps and it worked perfectly. Like there was no changes needed. It just kind of like continues on to the main hall and it works out quite well. So I added that in. And then uh, I'm also trying to add some sort of mosaic on the main courtyard. Uh, and it's I'm in a trial phase right now. So there's a couple of different ideas. It's not really final, but I want there to be kind of like this idea of something where the the pattern of the cobblestones and the bricks that you're walking over in the main court, courtyard funnel you towards the front door or kind of give you the idea of like this is where horses or buggies or something would come in here and have a, a roundabout quote unquote to turn around on mm-hmm. you know and then and head back out kind of get out of the way turn around and come back out and have each kind of circle pattern kind of delineate this is a focal area like here's a focal area of arrivals and welcoming and then here's a focal area of like this is where the horses and the livestock and people are working and doing things and then have the in-betweens be like the through fair so where two circles would get closer together it kind of funnels you along and have that kind of point you towards the main door and so i'm playing around with that i've done two other mosaics i'm very happy with they're just a little bit more decorative that i think i want i'm trying to make this look a little bit more functional and i'm just kind of battling with the right block choices but that's the kind of thing that these things just take time and i know i'll just i'll play around with it until i i like it but um i'm just really happy to not be walking around on dirt all the time i'm not sure what it was this last this last two weeks but the the coarse dirt as you're constantly backing up and looking up at different structures the constant crunch of the coarse dirt sound (laughs) as footsteps like i would it was like nails in a chalkboard i was just done to the point where like i actually changed what i was doing and worked on a different area of the keep because i was just so tired of listening to the dirt noise 
Yeah, we I think we talked about that a few weeks ago is the kind of the the soundscape of walking around in Minecraft and mm -hmm. the fact that we now have a few different sounds for blocks that didn't have them before. You have the option of like putting carpet over amethyst so it still kind of tinkles as you walk around and I think there's there's a lot more to it than that. So yes, gone are the days where every block would make either a crunch crunch or a step step kind of sound. It was either like footsteps on gravel or footsteps on stone and that was kind of it. Um, as a British person, I approve of the roundabouts. I think that's a, a neat idea. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, you, you've you've obviously got uh, some 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 stuff guiding the the visitor around the place as well, which is something I've tried to do in my builds a lot. Just trying to figure out where pathways are going to go, and even just suggest stuff with different textures or where something might be a little bit more worn down where many boots have traveled over it so the the slightly more polished stuff might be worn down into natural stone again or might be like a a kind of natural andesite instead of polished andesite and you can you can do a lot with that stuff it's subtle but you can do it i really like the the juxtaposition of polished andesite and furnace blocks or really any other block that has uh like a an outline the kind of thing that doesn't tile seamlessly like a strong you know? border yeah 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 strong border and especially if we've got one that's a dark border because the andesite border is quite light it looks like light is hitting it it looks very shiny uh as one would expect with a polished block and and when you do that it really gives a 3d effect that the andesite block is higher than the two other blocks that are next to it uh, i'm just struggling with whether or not that pattern is going to look too fancy for what is essentially like a, a courtyard of a place where there's just a lot of horse and foot traffic and and not a lot of celebration like the celebration would happen in the parade square you know the the main town square down in, in the the richer part of town that has the the street lamp in the middle of it like that kind of stuff is a little bit more focal point and this is more of a of a function and and the keep would have been one of the earlier buildings as well so i'm trying to like oh i've got all these cool ideas and skills to, to do mosaics but it's like well i gotta dial that back to what was the function and when was it built and kind of like make sure it all kind of works in, in that way but sure so what's what's been new with you like what have you been up to in minecraft this week uh, I haven't had a huge amount of time to play this week, but I have started on New Life SMP, uh, which is a modded server in 119.2 built around the Origins mod. It's kind of, I think I mentioned this last week, the uh, spiritual successor to the Afterlife SMP that was a project uh, between Empires Seasons 1 and 2. Um, so the Origins mod gives people abilities and, uh, in a lot of cases, disadvantages based on minecraft creatures or whatever our imaginations can conjure up so there are people who have an origin where they are a zombie and it means that they get a little bit of extra health maybe a little bit of extra reach or something but then if they go out in the sunlight they start to burn <laughs> so there's, the, the, there's there's stuff like that where they they've got uh, a few advantages and disadvantages so we have a few custom ones of those this time around and i am starting kind of continuing from my uh empire's season two character as an archaeologist um i haven't done videos on this yet so it's st still a work in progress the first episode but everybody's episode started coming out last weekend and uh i can dig up gravel and whilst that ability is active, I don't get the usual gravel drops. I get other stuff. Uh, so I can go around with a shovel still because we didn't want to mod in too many, like, you know, custom tools and stuff like that. But I'm shoveling gravel. I'm getting different stuff. Uh, we still we're trying to figure out exactly what balances that, like what I should get and what I shouldn't. Um, but it's, it's, I'm not digging diamonds out of it. I'm getting, like, you know, lapis and bits and pieces, like, kind of 
taking our cues from what suspicious gravel gives you in 1.20 um but there's other mods on the server i think create mod is on there so like if i'm digging up cog wheels and stuff like that it can maybe nice. like go in line with some of that i have picked out where i'm going to live which is a little island kind of near spawn but with enough distance that i'm not treading on everybody's toes and building stuff where i shouldn't be building it there is an autumnal forest biome in the world generation that we have and i really wish i could remember what the name of the mod that provides the biomes is but it basically gives you um you know oak wood i think a bit of dark oak or spruce and birch wood but with different color leaves you get a lot of those yellow orange red and brown kind of leaves mixed in so going to be playing a lot with that and there's a nearby ocean ruin which is expanded from the vanilla ocean ruin there's a lot of custom structures in this world generation so i'm thinking if i can i'm going to go out and swim out to this ocean ruin and challenge myself to explore that and see what's new there the flip side to this all is that we have a fixed amount of lives and each life we are reborn with a new origin so every time we die it's effectively like a hardcore server with like a fixed number of lives and every time you die you leave that origin behind and you switch switch to a new one and part of the fun is just figuring out what you get, adapting to your new abilities or disadvantages, and uh, seeing what shenanigans ensue as a result. Um, I'm going to try and stay an archaeologist for as long as possible, <laughs> but you never know, especially if I'm throwing myself in harm's way when it comes to this new Ocean Monument experience. Um, I'm still not sure about base ideas either, but my idea, I think, is going to be to add something to this island that I'm starting on, with basically every new origin so i start as an archaeologist i make like a a field office i set up a few tents a few kind of like dig sites that kind of thing and then whatever i do next i build something that's thematic to that i think that's what people did last time so that's kind of the the direction i'm taking it so far it's a neat idea to have the the, the origin kind of like reset every time you die and i mean in in some ways like if you're if you start off as a zombie then like maybe you're just like you know what this might be worth just one life just to just not yeah, <laughs> to yeah. not burn in the sun like you could i mean play around with it a little bit but if it really started to get on your nerves you could you could maybe just like well i'm not having any fun maybe i'll just throw myself off a cliff here and and be reborn as you know something else um which i guess roll the dice could either be worse or better depending on you know, what <laughs> yeah, your play style yeah. is um but um It'd be interesting because it would kind of force you into maybe modes of gameplay that you don't normally like. I'm very much a build something nice on the surface that people can see kind of player. And if I was a zombie, I was like, all right, well, cave life for me, I guess, you know, and then mm -hmm. exploring that we know. And I've always loved, you know, Ethos like man cave, I think is what he calls it in the long, like 500 plus episode series that he has. And, and um, just kind of like going with that, random i just need to dig a hole here and create stuff in minecraft kind of mentality when you don't have to worry about decorating the outside of it because it's just a hole in the, in the wall and that kind of stuff could be really really fun i see that you've got a uh, a map mod with the mod pack as well that's gonna be interesting to see how that affects you know as you're mapping out this island and building different things in this island you can now see it from the top down with a very like without having to do in-game maps It'd be interesting yeah. to see how that one affects your your plans but two uh how it um, I guess affects the the method and the speed at which you can plan things out. Like when you can see a top-down pixel accurate plan of where you want to put different things, like it I for me found it it sped up things a great deal, having that bird's eye view. 
Yes, we are we are running Zero's minimap on this. So uh, okay, it's, cool. It's it's my my first time really for a while using anything that has a minimap. I haven't. I know you've been using yours on on vanilla in in the Citadel, but I haven't really messed with minimaps. We didn't have them on Empires, so I haven't done this for a little while. So it's going to be interesting to see what all else we can do with that. And uh, yeah, getting the bird's eye view is going to be kind of nice to 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 show the progress of of this island as it builds up. Um, but like I said, haven't really had a great deal of time to play on there yet because I've also been editing my Empire's finale in the background. Uh, so on streams this week, I've been playing Minecraft Bingo, which has been updated to 1.20 pre-release 1. And the oh, last couple of streams have been really fun. Yeah, we've got into this beta version, effectively, of, of Bingo, which has rolled back a couple of the changes from the last version. It's removed the goat horn and skulk items from bingo cards. I think the goat horn was just too tricky. You can either get it by having a goat ram you, which is a very unpredictable process and takes quite a long time, or you have to get incredibly lucky and find a pillager outpost that has a goat horn in the loot chest to tick that item off your bingo card. And the goal for me is always to complete the full bingo card of 25 items in the shortest amount of time. So... I'm I'm quite happy about those changes. Skulk wasn't too difficult to find, but it's not as signposted as a dripstone cave or a lush cave are, because lush caves always have azalea trees growing above them, and dripstone caves are very easy to spot from the surface. They generate quite high up, whereas players were having to dig down all the way to effectively bedrock in the hope that there was going to be a deep dark somewhere down there if you couldn't spot one from the surface, which is incredibly rare that you can. So instead, we have some 1.20 items starting to trickle into the bingo card. Uh, the archaeology brush is one of those, which means you have to find chicken feathers and copper and that kind of stuff. A lot of stuff from the cherry grove is in there. You need to find uh, cherry petals, like the pink petals uh, that are on the ground, or you need a cherry sapling, or you need to make a cherry chest boat. Uh, so that's always a fun little extra. And then the other item that's a little bit, like, it's kind of closer to Goat Horn, this is a bit difficult territory, is boots with blue armor trim. So you need to know your structures, you need to get lucky with your structures. I raided a bunch of shipwrecks hoping to find armor trim in some of them, didn't find it in any of them until... I think the last run I did on that stream, I found a desert temple, and that happened to have the, the armor trim template in there. So there's, there's a lot of, like... Uh, randomness about that element of it but then it's kind of a fun exercise in you know you wouldn't normally make leather boots on such a short run of you know a, a quick game like this in Minecraft to begin with but then you're making those you're finding lapis to make sure that the armor trim can be blue and then you raid whatever structures you can find in the hope that they have armor trim in them um, but the way the world generates it's all smaller biomes so desert temples jungle temples woodland mansions all of that kind of stuff is fairly infrequent so it can be a bit of a challenge finding the right structures and overall i think the shipwrecks are still going to be the most frequent thing you run into it's just whether or not you get lucky and find the armor trims in there but having a lot of fun with that my new personal best time is something like under 39 minutes now so it's already better than it was in the 1.19 versions i've seen a lot of people be playing bingo on twitch you know as i go to raid people uh slice lime uh yourself when i get a chance like uh many other people i'm seeing are, are playing bingo and it's intense like if, if you're yeah. into it and you're really focused on getting like the best time or trying to figure things out it's like 
Hey, chat, thanks for the raid. Uh, I can't talk right now. Focused on, like, you know, bingo card you know, item number four or whatever it yeah, is that they're, yeah. they're doing. It's it's very interesting, especially if you're in kind of like a, if there's any kind of like co-op competitive, like you and a buddy are up against another two server mates or friends or something, and you're all doing bingo. Uh, I've seen like server bingo too happening uh, as different communities are doing it. It's um it's cool to see. It's cool to see that the the game mode is is catching on because like bingo as it stands is not necessarily a new idea. <laughs> you know, oh when, yeah, for sure. Yeah. When you think about bingo, you often think about like you know little old ladies in the trailer park with their bingo dauber, right? Um, that's just like the 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 pop culture image from the eighties that comes into my head. But it's yeah. cool that it can be applied to a game like Minecraft and create some cool interesting gameplay especially when you're dealing with this kind of section between like 1.20 is coming out in like a week you know uh yeah so it like there's no one wants to start anything new in their current worlds until 1.20 has arrived or if they're waiting to start a new world like all that kind of stuff right i mean even the concept of bingo in minecraft is already nearly a decade old like uh logon 111 is the guy who originally made the map for it uh, back in Minecraft 1.6, and uh, I'm just did a quick Google search. There's a video on his YouTube channel about it from 2013. So wow. th- there are there are people who have been playing bingo in Minecraft for almost 10 years at this point. And I feel like I'm late to the party as always, but it's really fun. It's a fun way to spend some time in between 1.19 and 1.20 when all of my sort of major projects are wrapping up. New stuff is starting, but I don't want to go whole hog with streaming it right now because I'm still in the process of setting up my early videos. So kind of fun to dip into. Let's also dip into the news because we have some exciting stuff, of course, to talk about. The Trails and Tales update is coming, according to Minecraft.net. The article that was published earlier last week announces the release of Minecraft 1.20 Trails and Tales on Wednesday, June 7th. They also announced this in a uh, an episode of their Minecraft Monthly, I think it's called now. It's gone through a few different names, a few different iterations. Um, but they did a, a short video where they announced the release date. Uh, 1.20 is going to go live across Java Edition and Bedrock Edition platforms, and for the first time it's going to be available on Chromebook. The Chromebook Edition was announced back in May and might still be an early access, during which only Chromebook devices that meet the hardware specification will be able to download it from the Google Play Store. Minecraft Java Edition pre-releases 5 and 6 came out this week with a few more bug fixes and technical tweaks. The first of those, pre-5, arrived on May 23rd. It had one library version update, which was that the Uniform font was updated to use Unifont 15.0.03. The fixed bugs in 1.20 pre-5 were numerous, and I'll read off a few of them here. Anvils and other falling blocks with hurt entities set to true used to kill items and XP orbs before that bug was fixed. Recipes for coloured wool, carpets and beds in the recipe book weren't grouped together previously after the universal dying change, that's now been fixed as well. Players could still jump from the edge of honey blocks after the change to player positioning relative to the block that you were standing on, that's also been fixed. And some zed fighting occurring on trimmed enchanted armour in the inventory has been fixed, along with a handful of other bugs that appear in the minecraft.net changelog we'll have linked in our show notes. That same changelog article also details pre-release 6 which arrived the following day on may 24th technical changes in pre-6 include the item minecraft air can no longer be used in datapack recipes ingredients in array form are now allowed in smithing trim and smithing transform recipes on fields template base and addition those fields also allow for empty arrays which signal that the slot needs to be left empty good news for all of you custom crafters out there 
In terms of the loot tables, there was a update to those recently where an ID can be given in the background for a random sequence uh, to generate all of the loot in a world from. The ID of that is now an optional field, so if no sequence name is given, the game will just draw loot using a non-deterministic random source instead of it being assigned and being the same every time. The fixed bugs in 1.20 Pre-6 include resummoned dragons not spawning end gateways if you exited the world before killing the dragon. That's now been fixed. Iron golems were spawning on transparent blocks. Confusing a lot of people, that's also now been fixed. And killing a sneaking player who had toggle sneak enabled in the, their accessibility settings resulted in other players not being able to see them sneaking once they had respawned. That's also been fixed, along with two small changes to the credits, and those are the only remaining bug fixes from Pre-6. So I expect we'll get a release candidate this week and a full release next Wednesday. I was really close when I said June 6th, and mm. we were informed in our live chat that uh, June 6th is actually a national holiday. It's the National Day of Sweden. Right, so that, yeah, that, yeah. That very well be the reason why it's not coming out on a Tuesday, it's coming out on a Wednesday. Makes uh, sense. Just so that folks enjoying the holiday are not, you know, pulled back in the office if there has to be any kind of hot fix, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would makes be, sense. Makes that would a lot be of rough. Sense. So you release it on Wednesday and then anything else that has to change, you, you've got Thursday and Friday to troubleshoot any major issues or things. Although from the sounds of the, the very slim changes that are kind of trickling in with pre five and pre six, I, I think it's in, it's been pretty good shape. And I'm not at all diminishing the content we're getting in 120, but overall compared to the big things that we saw, even in 119, but like 117 and 118, like it's a smaller major release. Uh, and, I, and again, I'm not not making it sound like it isn't a lot of work, but I, I, I'm happy to see a, what is the word that they used when they were describing? Like the attainable, you know, they, they didn't want to bite off more than they can chew. They wanted to announce things that they could achieve on time and with very little, you know, bugs and, and things like that. So I'm happy that, you know, it looks like it's going smoothly from from what I can tell. And I'm looking forward to it coming out. Yeah, it's it's a, a major release that doesn't fundamentally change everything about the way terrain generates. And, yes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Add extra height to the world and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, no, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. Uh, I guess we'll probably end up doing a retrospective on Minecraft 1.19 on next Monday's show because at that point mm -hmm. we'll basically be in the waiting room for 1.20 and uh, yeah, gasping for cherry wood and archaeology and all of the the other stuff. Um, I, I did see a lot of people actually wondering about iron golems spawning on transparent blocks, so I'm glad that's a bug fix and not just a group hallucination that we were all having. Um, I think that's that's really important that that's gotten fixed because that's iron farm technology these days, and I presume it wasn't intentional that that kind of stuff started happening. So yeah, hopefully hopefully people will be able to continue with the iron farms unbroken from previous updates if they are continuing their world or revert to those old familiar designs if they start a new world also pretty cool that anvils no longer destroy items um obviously uh, watching hermitcraft for the recap they have a lot of stuff lately related to anvils dropping on people out of the sky and if that also destroys your stuff kind of in the same way that a lightning strike does then there's potential for some rage so i do think it's uh, a good change and anvils squishing stuff including xp orbs didn't really feel like it was mechanically necessary for anvils to do that before yeah i think the changes to anvil make sense i think the changes to the iron golem spawning on transparent blocks is, is a good catch and a good fix it's the, i mean it's like i just said it's the kind of thing that would prompt like a point one 
like right away yeah <laughs> you know? yeah like a dot one release right afterwards so um catching that kind of stuff and making sure that those mechanics are consistent and it kind of makes you wonder like they don't i don't remember them addressing much in regards to things spawning i don't see remember seeing any bug fixes about like iron golems so like i don't know why all of a sudden they were spawning on transparent yeah. blocks yeah so it, i'd be curious to know like when that kind of stuff happens like what what under the hood was changing that affected that uh because i i, I guess the only thing that they've been doing with messing with mobs recently has been like different rideable mobs being um affected by slow falling but I don't see how there's like a connection there between slow falling potions, rideable mobs and iron golems. Like you can't ride an iron golem much to my dismay, but, yeah. but like, cause how fun would that be? Just riding around on an iron golem, yeeting zombies away from villagers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. It'd be like riding a rancor in star Wars. Anyway. Um, I, yeah, I, I mean, it, it, I'm glad they're fixing it. Like it all, it all seems to make sense. I think that's that domino effect of like you you or the butterfly effect even you change one part of the code and then chaos happens in another part of the code and it's the the tangled web that we have been told Minecraft code is or, or was I don't know if it's uh, it, it's been improving all the time from what we understand but they've got to add new stuff as well so something is going to some wires are going to cross somewhere Scotsman in our live chat is is pointing out that it could have been a change to transparent blocks rather than the golems. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Any number of things I think could have affected it at that point. So uh, yeah, fingers crossed. That's all the bug fixes we need, and that with the next thing we see is a release candidate later this week. Uh, now let's release some mail from the mailbag. Let's move on into chunk mail, where we've got a couple of emails to read through before we get to our main discussion. If you would like to email the show, the Email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Please use that email address. First email comes from Mr. Smiles, an enchanting position. Good day, guys. Expanding off of the ideas you were exploring in episode 246, The Magic of Lasers, I think having small sprite or pixel art that explains the origin of an enchantment would solve more than one problem. First, an embossing of a symbol such as a guardian or warden on the sides of enchanted books would be a nice feature to go alongside the new chiseled bookshelves we are getting, adding variety to their look. It also is a good accessibility feature. Maybe the leather on enchanted books could change color as well. Second, this would also help the current potions problem. An engraving of a shield or a sword or even a turtle on a potion bottle would make a huge difference in identifying what potion is what. Curious to what you think. Mr. Smiles giggled while watching his friend enter another fortress, thinking he was invisible. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, I think I detect an Australian from the, uh, mm -hmm. the, the, <laughs> the intro line, but we will, we will see. Yeah, thank you for the email, Mr. Smiles. I think... I think this is the kind of thing that if you asked the art team at Mojang, would you want to add new, like, different covers for enchanted books and stuff like that? I think they'd probably say yes. In the same way that I, I, I look at the the short that they published fairly recently on the Minecraft YouTube channel of the sound designer Samuel Alberg saying, yeah, I'd love to add more ambience to the game. The problem is we can't always budget that in terms of the time and effort and stuff that we have. And they've already talked about, I believe, a change regarding like potion color and things like that and saying like it's we're not necessarily done making changes to this because for certain types of color blindness i think it was that they said it, it wasn't going to be the the most accessible change for folks but 
adding symbology, you know, adding that kind of stuff does make sense. You've just got limited real estate in the texture. Am I right in thinking that? Yeah, the uh, the quote was from King B-Dogs. And right after they changed the color of the potions, uh, with regards to the those color changes, uh, King B-Dogs had a Twitter thread where they said, we recognize that this change is not going to improve the readability for all color blindness. A real solution is to make individual potion textures for each type. But for now, we're just doing a small fix until we have the capacity. Generally, using color to distinguish between quote-unquote types of anything in a game is a bad idea. Iconography and form is a much better form of UX perspective. But it's not a simple change that can be made quickly, so we wanted to at least do something small towards solving this first. I'll have a link to that thread in the show notes this week. And and I, I think, I mean, it goes right back to what we were talking about in our discussion of art fundamentals applied to Minecraft, and talking about clarity of form uh, and iconography or shape, right? Compared to just color. And when you combine all of those things, you get a very clear communication. Uh, when you're relying on just one, it can be a little bit tricky. And right now, potions in Minecraft are relying on just one. And, uh, and better because we can now control the enchantment glint. So as you remove the enchantment glint, if you don't like it or find it distracting, then you can see clear, you know, the color of the potions. And I think that that helps a great deal. But um, there's a definitely a, a better opportunity for potions for this kind of thing when you compare it to an enchanted book. The tricky part about adding some sort of symbol to an enchanted book is the pixel real estate on the sprite. It's really quite small. You're dealing with three by four pixels on the book cover and the symbol would have to be really simple. I don't know you could communicate a guardian or, you know, something more complicated than like a cross or a circle or an X, like you're really not gonna be able to get very much in there. Um, the challenge with the current book sprite is that it's on an angle. So it's got like that isometric angle in your inventory. Whereas if it was flat and like taking up an entire inventory space, you would have a lot more space available to design something. Uh, the spine of the book, when it's inserted into a chiseled bookshelf, is only four pixels wide total uh, because the chiseled bookshelf is only 16 by 16 texture, right? So that you're really limited to just basically color and maybe the number of like gold strips on the binding of the book. You're really not going to be able to do much in a chiseled bookshelf to distinguish one book from another um, in terms of the textures. And right now it doesn't matter which book you put in there. They all kind of do the same thing. And yeah. all chisel if, if a chiseled bookshelf is full, each full chiseled bookshelf looks identical to the one next to it. So um, it's only when you start to remove books that they start to look a little bit different, but it's not, there's definitely a, a finite number of combinations. Yeah. Um, I think that potions having more potential is a nice way to start because the bottle is roughly nine by nine pixels, which leaves quite a bit in the middle if you want to do some sort of very basic pixel art symbol. But the bottle itself does not take up a whole inventory space in terms of its pixel dimensions, right? Like you can still, you can create a larger bottle. You could change the shape of the overall bottle to be like a square bottom. I've seen mods where um, healing potions are actually shaped like a heart bottle, that mm -hmm. kind of a thing. The kind yeah. of thing like you might see like a perfume bottle that's shaped like a heart, like that, that kind of stuff becomes like, so rather than having to put 
a symbol of a heart on the bottle. You just make the bottle the symbol and simplify it even more. So there's lots of opportunities there uh, on the potions. And honestly, this sounds like a really fun, like texture pack design project. I might even look into it in, in terms of just like, what would be the symbol that you would apply to slow falling or protection or, you know, um, the different area of effects or like, how do you distinguish between a splash potion and a regular potion that you drink? Like that kind of stuff I think could be really fun. Um, and, and alongside the colors give you an opportunity to, to tell the potions apart. Um, I like the idea on the books, but I think it would involve a revisit of what a book texture looks like when it's in your inventory. And, I think we're kind of, we, we wouldn't be able to do anything with a chisel bookshelf. I think they're, you're kind of stuck with how the chisel bookshelf looks at this point. Yeah, the, the chisel bookshelf basically has two textures and they're kind of split into six individual areas and like you toggle a texture for one sixth of the front of the bookshelf on or off and that's really all that changes. Like you, you can't do anything much with the, the colors of that and customizing it in any great detail but uh, yeah again it, it would be it would be nice i imagine that the art team spends a lot of their time prototyping stuff that never sees the light of day so people who are wondering why they don't have capacity to you know doodle a few potions it's it's a lot more it, it, I, I imagine more complex than that not only that but they also have to consider the potential for even accidentally copying other games that have a variety of different potions and the example i always go to is terraria which has i want to say like like upwards of 20 different types of potions all of which have different sprites for the different like effects they have different bottle shapes and you just think as soon as minecraft goes the obvious route and makes a health potion into a heart shape does that look too much like the sprite for a terraria health potion and do they suddenly have like potentially a legal case on their hands because they're copying the iconography from a different game it's not necessarily intentional but it could happen and as far as i know the devs of terraria and minecraft are pretty good friends so i don't know if there would be anything like that but tons of games out there will have done something similar so it's it's really something to be be aware of and i think too when you're dealing with a pixel art game there are only so many different ways you can make a heart within a nine by nine pixel like <laughs> absolutely yeah before you're just you have you're not copying anybody you just don't have a choice it's either a heart or not a heart you know mm -hmm. and, I, and i think that that might be where you know they could get away with doing a little bit a little bit more but same thing with like you know classic iconography of like a skull on a poison potion like that makes sense and it looks cool <laughs> So mm -hmm. why rock the boat? Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see like what that full list would be. And I'm glad that you brought up the idea of like the art that might be floating around at Mojang that we don't get to see. This is why I would really like to see a art of book for, for Minecraft. And I'm not, I understand that it's difficult because Minecraft isn't, isn't always evolving game and it's always moving forward, but we've seen little snippets of, of concept art and concept painting that that have come out with like caves and cliffs and the warden and different things that came out in the last few years i would love to see that kind of stuff especially if you've got artist notes or game design notes in the margins like here's an idea for putting symbols in a book that we had that we thought was really cool that doesn't work and here's why you know and but the artwork was so cool we wanted to share it and you know i think in a lot of ways you know, I wouldn't be surprised if some of the things that are good ideas for Minecraft, but don't work technically because it's a pixel art game, end up making their way into things like 
Minecraft Legends or Minecraft Dungeons because they've got the graphical real estate to do it. You know, they've got the shading and the effects and they can do that kind of stuff without worrying whether a player in Java Minecraft is going to duplicate this thing a thousand times and just break the game. Right. And and I think that that's, it's, it's an interesting conversation and it's, it's too bad that we don't know a little bit more about that through, you know, art production books or a blog or something like that. I'm always champing at the bit to hear more about the art production and decisions that get made behind the scenes. Well, maybe we need to uh, reach out to the Mojang art team and see if any of them wants to come on the podcast and hey, there you go. answer all of our burning questions. Either way, uh, let's move on to our second email. This one comes in from Lola Moonpetal and has kind of a similar thread. The subject is texture troubles. Hi, Johnny and Joel. I was listening to recent episodes and I heard the word texturing a lot. I've always known what it is, and while I've tried, I can never quite get it right in Minecraft. Even something as simple as a crumbling stone texture, I can't figure it out. I think that you're both really good with texturing and would like to know how in the world you do it. Please help me and other audience members understand texturing. Thanks. Lola Moonpetal was dropped into lava due to not paying attention because of being frustrated at a poorly textured wall. That's the second death due to texture in the last two weeks. Just, <laughs> I'm putting that out there. Death by texture. That's it's, yeah. it's claiming another victim. Yeah. Checkered pasts. Uh, mm-hmm. For me, it starts with assigning characteristics to blocks. So really good example that I use all the time in West Hill is that andesite to me, I think to a lot of people, reads as a lighter texture than stone. There's enough of a sparkle in it that it reads like it could be lighter. And so I use it a lot on the top of my builds, the very, very top with like an andesite slab on the top of a marlin or something like that, because it looks like the stone is being hit by sunlight and kind of giving it some some light texture at the top. And so when you think about that, you know, you can assign a really obvious one, cracked stone. It looks old. It looks like it's been beaten up. And so if you're trying to figure out how to start texturing something, I would take a functional approach to it. So take a look at the blocks that you're using in a build and assign either an age to it, a wear and tear to it, uh, or some other function to it, and then use that in logical ways. So if you've got a building that has a corner that is exposed to on the edge of a cliff versus the other three corners that are like, you know, nestled amongst trees or something like that, the chances of that exposed corner having more sun damage, wind damage, and erosion from rain is higher. Uh, Whereas the uh, corners of the building that are closer to bushes and trees and stuff, maybe they're going to be mossy. Maybe they're going to be, you know, having more of of that kind of stuff. You can work in things like tough and mossy cobble or mossy stone brick. And then on the other outside, you can have more of a cobblestone, cracked stone, maybe even some smooth stone can sometimes look like you know, the detail of something has been washed away or, or, or eroded away. Uh, and that kind of stuff I think is, is where you can start with texturing. Uh, and then when you go on to say like, you know, when people say I want to add texture to this giant wall, cause it's just, just plain stone. I think you can go back to what we talked about a couple of weeks ago about the rule of thirds, uh, and proportions. So having a wall that's 50, 50, two different kinds of blocks all over the place, it's going to likely look like a checkerboard. And what you can do is kind of push that to say, all right, well, let's make it 70% cobblestone and I'm going to use tough as the other example and say 30% tough. And right away, that's going to set you up for more of a success. And then you can start getting into really finite things like, well, instead of 70-30, why not 70-20-10? You know, so 70% cobble, 20% tough, and then 10% 
mossy cobble or something else that kind of like some kind of real fun accent block that'll help you out uh layers also help so when you're doing something like that on top of all that you know complication of of your your ratios you can then layer in a bush vine kind of crawling up the side of it or a more traditional vine uh you could add some depth and some detail to help with that too but i think with texturing like i usually approach it in, in proportions and function um first and once you have more experience with that that's when i think you can kind of expand into like okay i'm going to use these five blocks and a gradient and i'm going to try to do some fancy stuff on the side of the wall but i think that even that is usually steeped in function where the bottom of the wall is maybe wet and the top is meant to be dry or the bottom again is more protected whereas the top is going to be more exposed to the sun from bleaching or wind and rain erosion that kind of thing is that how you approach it pix yeah that's sort of what i was doing with the castle in uh in empires i was doing a lot of thinking about what would dirt and rain and erosion and in some cases physical destruction of some of these look like over time and and kind of apply that i was also thinking a lot about the direction light was coming from and where shadows would be cast and you think okay if this wall has an overhang at the top of it then if the light is coming from a specific angle at whatever time of day if you imagine you kind of freeze time in your head and think where are the shadows being cast assuming you're using vanilla minecraft like lighting and not shaders or whatever then you think okay well this corner up here has a lot of shadow in it so you can enhance that shadow by adding some darker blocks in there which is where i ended up using a lot of mud and then gradient from mud through things like deep slate into tough into cobblestone into lighter stone textures and then on the sections of the wall that are going to be sticking out and so the light is always hitting them that's where i put the polished blocks the stone bricks the andesite the kind of stuff that's going to make it pop out in terms of lightness and there's a few different ways you can do bits and pieces like that that sort of shading thing is you know fairly popular amongst youtubers especially like b-dubs um b tends to sort of build in that style quite a lot lately and has, has really been exploring that style um gradients are another sort of popular way of doing that where you just pick a bunch of blocks and you aim to create a texture that doesn't necessarily look all that coherent in terms of the method that was used to build it up close but from further away it looks like a much smoother range of textures so you've got to think about whether you are looking at your build from further away more often or if it's something that needs to make sense and look good up close a couple of other tips i can give first of all if you're trying to avoid the checkerboard pattern where you're just alternating between one block and another and it looks like you've just built a chessboard and it's very obvious that you're texturing these out of different color blocks a couple of things you can do first of all if you can find some textures that go smoothly into one another that's the key so if you look at something like stone to andesite for example if you take a few steps back it's actually quite difficult to see where the stone block ends and the andesite block begins because of the similarity in the in the color and to a certain extent the texture and even the grain of the texture the direction that it goes can mm -hmm. do a lot to confuse the eye and to kind of make it look like that patch of stone is just kind of a little bit worn down um if you want to break up a checkerboard pattern of blocks that you know aren't going to fit together say for example you're putting in coarse dirt and rooted dirt and stuff like that in a grassy area where the green and brown are going to have a really high contrast 
you think about the way a knight moves in chess. You make one step forward and one step diagonally. And if you repeat that pattern a bunch, even kind of tessellate that pattern a little bit, as long as you don't just turn at a right angle, do it again, turn at a right angle, do it again, you end up with something that looks a bit more complex than the kind of chessboard really obvious pattern to it. And you just kind of seed those little details in, these little variations in here and there. And you can do a lot with that. Last thing I will say is consider the direction of the textures, the grain that I was talking about, and use that to your advantage. If you've got a wall or a pillar or something that you want to appear more rounded, if the lines on the texture, say for example the lines along the center of the wooden plank texture are moving horizontally, that can give the vague illusion that that surface is sort of curved because everything going horizontally kind of makes the eye think, okay, that is going around the outside of it. And it's the same reason that I think jungle tree bark looks really good and mangrove tree I think does the same thing, is because it gives the impression of being rounded by having horizontal stripes in the texture instead of, say, oak or acacia bark, which is all vertical. So you can do a lot with understanding the directions of the texture, playing with blocks where you can change the orientation so you can lay logs on their sides so they have vertical or horizontal textures. You can do a whole lot of different stuff with that. It's really just a matter of trial and error, though. Practice some of this stuff in creative mode. Uh, you know, get the, the doodling fingers out and just try and texture something flat to get an idea of how that stuff works, instead of trying to do it all in survival, because survival texturing is a lot of trial and error, it's a lot of going up and down scaffolding, breaking blocks that you've already placed, and it can get a little bit frustrating to do that all in survival. With regards to the paths, I think that that's a really good example, and, and the flow of not just the texture within the block but your flow of placing those textures is going to matter too and i i do that that uh night move very frequently where it's like one two blocks of one texture in one direction and then the third can't go in the same direction it has to either go left or right kind of off at an angle yeah and that alone kind of creates a slight little looks like a little hook pattern on the ground but that can be going left or right uh and it could also be going forward or back like those first two blocks that you put in a row are they going along the path or are they going across the path? And I have much more success when the textures that I put down on a path flow in the direction that the path is going rather yeah. than fighting it. It's the same thing with um, with a tower. I removed some stuff from my tall tower that I added in the keep this week because some of the textures were running horizontally across it in a band and it made the tower feel way shorter and just did not work well with the flow of the tower, which was up. So any textures that I add to that tower are going to flow vertically on the y-axis. I'm not going to add any stripes or or any kind of real horizontal bands in that tower because it's going to take away from the build shape, which is very vertical. And I think if you take into consideration the shape of the thing you're trying to add texture to and use that, you know, in the way that you lay down the texture, you'll probably have more success. And another great, you know, use of paths, like when I was doing textures around rivers, wet versus dry function you know uh mud block brown concrete uh soul sand soul soil they all look like wet dirt whereas dirt in minecraft looks a little bit more dry mm -hmm. and uh in a lot of ways we've talked about things like uh i need to figure out how to connect these two builds together and usually what i have to do is i have to build one area and then build the other and then only then with the two areas built will i know how to build the area in the middle i feel like it's the same way with texture like choose a wet block for this example use that as the edge of your river 
choose a dry block, whether it's a path or, you know, a rooted dirt or whatever. And then once you've decided, okay, that feels right in terms of this feels like dry and this feels like wet. And then just try to find a block in Minecraft that kind of is halfway in between terracotta, you know, some of the brown and, and darker terracotta works in that way. Um, there's um, concrete powder sometimes, as long as you're not putting it next to water where it changes. And so you can kind of find those middle ground textures that will work you from one to the other. And that is a, another way to achieve some, some success on a very small scale. Last of all, remember that we're always our own worst critic, especially when it comes to Minecraft builds and uh, stuff that you think looks amazing in other people's builds might look weird to you in yours when you try it. But frankly, that's just, you know, the eye of the beholder kind of thing. And I imagine some people will look at the stuff you've built once you've added some texture to it and think, yeah, I should try that. That actually looks pretty good. So uh, bear that in mind. Um, we're going to have a kind of round table discussion this week. We both had a topic we wanted to bring to it, and I'm going to kick us off with the search for a new seed. I've been thinking a lot about this in regards to starting the next season of the Minecraft Survival Guide world, and I was thinking about what makes a good start to a fresh Minecraft world generally. There are a few things that I think a lot of us would agree kind of make the most sense. It's easily accessible wood so that you can make your crafting table and get started, so you have some flat terrain for building. You probably want to be in a fairly flat biome. A lot of people find it challenging to build with height, especially in the early days when you don't have a light tray, you don't have access to water buckets and ladders and stuff yet. Um, the next thing really being biomes within comfortable reach. A lot of people look for seeds, which I think are getting fewer and further between with the new world generation, but seeds which have every possible biome within about 2,000 blocks are often quite desirable. Some people want to take a bit of a shortcut through progression by having a village at spawn. And some people just want the new features right on their doorstep, especially if they're starting a new world. I can imagine a lot of people are going to want to spawn in a cherry grove and immediately start building with the new stuff and see all of that picturesque landscape right away. So this week, I've been using chunkbase.com to roll up a few random world seed and load up a few of them in Minecraft, which seem to have potential. Uh, one thing I'm doing is trying to avoid spoiling the locations of generated structures and other landmarks. And luckily, Chunkbase has a biome finder that's completely separate from the seed map that just has absolutely everything in it. Um, I've been using the seed map but disabling everything with the checkboxes except for the marker for the spawn point, because the spawn point is also fairly important to where you're starting in a world. I actually found one where the seed tried to spawn me at Y200 in a jagged peaks biome, <laughs> and it did have some spruce wood nearby, but it was a very extreme start. Um, so there's definitely a, a lot of curveballs it can throw you. And I have some kind of like loose criteria that I want to follow for the new survival guide world. And this is a question for a start I'll pitch at you, Joel. I know that the Citadel isn't resetting anytime soon, but let's say you're loading up a snapshot world and you want to take a look at some of this stuff, or if you were to start a new 1.20 world all of your own, is there anything in particular you would look for right away? Would you want to dive straight into the new stuff, or would you want a dependable Minecraft start first? I think I'd be looking for the same kind of things that you mentioned, where I'd be looking for a similar spread of variety in the biomes close-ish to spawn. Uh, my view would change from when we started the Citadel years and years ago, where far in Minecraft back then was very different to far now. Mm -hmm. And I would be totally fine with things, like you said, within a couple thousand blocks, whereas like we wanted a desert within... 400 blocks or l less than a thousand blocks via nether travel. Um, and, and so 
um, we had a lot of biomes that we wanted to have close by in, in early the Citadel. And the Citadel the seed is you can't get it anymore because when you when you punch that into the new world gen, it's very different. You start off in like a um, instead of like a we're in like a, a forest and a meadows biome uh, or plains biome in the Citadel as it was in 1.12, but you start off in a Badlands <laughs> if, you, yeah. if you punch it in, if you punch it into 119. So uh, yeah, I I go for usually biome variety because I'm a builder, but as far as the new stuff would go, I would be less concerned about cherry groves or deserts for like ancient temples and, and other things being close by rather than nice uh because we can travel so quickly now at an end game server in the citadel and i also have the gameplay knowledge to connect things in the nether or or make them accessible um i'm not as concerned about something that has to be really close to spawn whereas if it's like well yeah, it's four thousand blocks away but it's if it's a beautiful huge cherry grove on like a mountainside or something like that then that would kind of win for me over over just having a okay cherry grove just really close to spawn and um i i would go i would go probably more for like a I, the the areas that i would want to explore would i would want, rather them look cool than have them be also under the restriction of being close because i feel like being close would just it ends up restricting too much like you maybe sacrifice some of the things that would look better or give cooler gameplay experiences just because they're a little bit far away whereas like that to me kind of provides like well there's a game challenge of like you know now you have to build like a cool nether network to get between places quickly right yeah it, it is kind of at odds with their stated goal of improving the exploration experience in minecraft is to want to have all of the exploration happen as close to home as possible <laughs> doesn't necessarily make all that much sense uh but i i, I do think in terms of my criteria for the new survival guide world, I feel like I don't need to start in a plains biome, but it's definitely the most kind of traditional feeling start. It's like the same way I make a red bed every time I have to like start a bed, even though you can have all different colors of them now. It just feels like Minecraft to me if I'm doing that. And having lots of open space for building and getting easily oriented so you're starting in a plains you can see landmarks around you you can kind of get a feel for where the adjacent biomes are as opposed to starting in a forest where you're going to get lost in the trees very easily right i, th I think that's also because i'm working from the perspective of this being a tutorial series and i want to teach people in, in, a, in a, a slow and steady way and i want people to almost be able to follow in my footsteps quite literally whereas if you're in a forest, then if I turn left, they might turn right because they don't know which side of that tree I went on and it's much, much easier to get lost. And I'm not going to be relying too heavily on coordinates until a little bit later when I can kind of discuss how you use those to navigate the world in Java. Um, the other thing is the plains biome feeling very default kind of allows you to see where you're going and, and, and what's around you. It lets you see the sun so you can easily get oriented like compass point wise and so i can start saying like let me go north and you can understand that if the sun is rising on your right then you are going north and yeah it's, it's a little bit easier to to understand that stuff that way i also want to 
perhaps at odds with some of the other players who might be starting new worlds, I want to avoid starting with a village nearby. For the same kind of reason, for the tutorial series reason, is that villages can really be a challenge for the first-time player to care for, and I don't want to distress anybody by having them play for an hour and not realize that they need to protect these villagers from zombies, but I don't want to get into all of that, like, right at the beginning of a series, and so I'd rather not have a village right at spawn or, or like within a couple of hundred blocks of spawn because then it means exploring to find them when i'm ready to move the series in that direction and it also means that i don't skip a bunch of the progression that i think is vital to teach people in a tutorial series context i think too with the things that they've added with archaeology and armor trim to 1.20 any kind of exploration or travel to get to known or unknown locations, you're going to be able to multitask. Like, yeah, you've got to see, all right, I'm going to see how far I have to travel before I can find a cherry grove. Along the way, I'm going to look for opportunities to get armor trim or maybe, you know, look for um, some archaeology opportunities. Like that kind of stuff, I think, helps the, um, the drive-by exploration thing that happens like i'm looking for a desert and you just kind of go with blinders on until you see sand you just don't care mm. right and i think that now it's like well wait a minute i need to pay attention to what's around me because like i might be missing out on some really cool opportunities if i'm just looking for a desert i mean sure it's a goal but it's like you know you got to keep your head on a swivel i think and it's going to be more fun you know to explore naturally in, in that way with a with a new seed um i sometimes am am tempted to just like you know do a new world experience or something with like a, a random seed or you know get onto a, a temporary server like as you um you've experienced with between seasons of different organizations and different server groups and i i'd be curious to see like how that would that would pan out like whether now that i've got five to six years experience you know playing minecraft a lot whether i would be cool with um, what sort I'm looking for adapting to where I spawn and being like, I, I just want to walk around until I find a place that looks cool and not really be too fussed about whether it's a cherry grove or not. Um, whereas, you know, because I know how, how easy it is to find stuff later on. And I guess it just depends on your level of patience. Like, you know, are you looking to get to that stuff immediately or do you just, are you comfortable with like, yeah, I have enough skills in Minecraft that we can find it later on. I think the only thing that falls into play for us in this decision that's a little bit different is as content creators, there's a certain time sink to, you know, wanting to get that specific armor trim and your woodland mansion is like nowhere to be found. Yeah. You know, like that that kind of stuff can get really frustrating because then, then it becomes like, all right, well, the thing that if I did a little bit of research, the thing that could have taken me you know, 10 hours is going to take me 40 hours. Like that's a big difference when you're, when you're doing this and creating content. So I can appreciate like the both sides of the coin from the average player looking for a seed versus, you know, people like you and I and, and our, you know, peers that are looking for a seed for specific reasons. The same way that Hermitcraft looks for like a very interesting seed, you know, to promote like, e like even if it's like, oh, this has a really good island for like a central hub for you know shops and stuff just to encourage more player interaction between server mates like that kind of a thing you know is the kind of goals that you see on on a bigger server like hermitcraft where like they don't really care how far away something is it's more about 
you know, what's going to be more interesting for a season, you know, yeah. in, in that decision making. Yeah, it can it can drive the season thematically if you mm-hmm. if you choose something that feels kind of iconic almost. And that's kind of what I'm crossing my fingers and hoping for for Survival Guide Season 3, actually, is something that I can really feel like I have a sense of ownership over and something that has its own character before I've even got started with the series in general, which is, I'll admit, a bit of a tall order. Um, but the Season 2 seed, I felt like I got a fairly mundane feeling spawn for something that was supposed to be a massive update to terrain i spawned in a birch forest i was near an ocean a lot of the terrain was fairly low lying i only Mm. really found the impressive mountains when i got a lot further away and the main problem i had with that seed was that my desert like the decent desert the one that actually had you know structures desert temples and villages and stuff in it was four thousand plus blocks away which was a lot when i was challenging myself not to explore using a seed map at all it was so long before I actually ran into that when I feel like that should be a fairly early discovery in terms of the progress that you make in the world because if you make more progress if you're flying around using elytra looking for desert structures then the loot you get from a desert temple is not going to feel as impactful as it does in the early game not to mention you know sand supply and that kind of stuff after a while and in this case archaeology finding those early archaeological finds I think is going to be quite fun in the early game but in the late game it's just going to be flying from one location to another looking for more pottery shirts so i'm hoping that the seed i get will have something a little bit closer or at least navigable by ocean so i can just cross one large ocean and i get to a desert and there's a couple of seeds that i've rolled that look like that the difficulty is the biome spread based on temperature is so different now that you're not really as likely to find a bunch of biomes in such close proximity I'd like to have a cherry grove nearby, but I think deserts and oceans are going to be essential for checking out 1.20 features. If you've got a warm ocean near a desert and it has ruins, that's closer to your chances of getting a sniffer egg. There's bits and pieces like that that I think is going to make a lot of sense to, to look for. And also, when it comes to wood types, you've got to consider mangrove swamp as well as cherry grove and some of the, the more recent stuff that has been added that you can't just find absolutely everywhere. Um, I'd also like to avoid spawning in a savanna if I can, simply because I've looked at a savanna for a year in Empire's Season 2 and I would really love to have something different. But overall, I'm I'm out looking for the stuff that you were talking about, something that feels unique, something that feels impressive and cool. One of the seeds I found this week, which I probably won't be using because it's the one that spawns you in a Jagged Peaks biome, I loaded up because there was an ice spikes biome next to a cherry grove. <laughs> they shared a similar <laughs> elevation, but it kind of segued from one into the other in a very like stark line down the side of this mountain. And incidentally, a village spawned at the crossroads between the two of them. So that's kind of an interesting environment for them to live in. But that kind of contrast that's created between that very baby blue packed ice color and the you know pastel pink color of cherry blossom made for a really nice scenic view of the surroundings so i am curious i I posted the seed and the coordinates to that on on twitter since i'm not going to be using it so if anybody else wants to go and check that out on my twitter page uh, feel free to use that seed take all the screenshots you want but it's a uh a, a really neat confluence of biomes that i'm not sure would happen really anywhere else it's funny when we started the citadel i looked at seed maps but i didn't actually load up the world like I didn't go into the the world to look around to see whether it was good or not. Like I just kind of went on the biomes because I wanted to have at least some sense of discovery. Yeah. And um, I did I did go in and look around in survival 
before I opened it up to other players because I wanted to kind of establish um, like a little bit of a homestead for me and, and then a, a place where it would be very easy for everyone in a plains biome to then build next to one another and kind of like help and be neighbors and stuff like that. And that's where the Dartmouth Meadows area was was picked out because Spawn is not near that at all. Spawn is near our uh, Iron Golem farm and Moss farm and stuff. So um, that's all the exploration I did. But I, it's interesting that, you know, you're actually going in and like looking around in the game and trying to find like the, not only just the biomes that you want, but also like, well, what does spawn look like? Does it give me some opportunities? And I guess when you're doing like that tutorial thing, like you're looking for what is going to set me up for not necessarily success in Minecraft, but like for the best opportunities to explain tutorial situations, you know, for, for the survival guide. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like if if I'm if I'm going to be coming back to spawn at some point to build an iron farm, I don't want my iron farm necessarily to be halfway up the side of a mountain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I want, unless I want to build a storage system all the way to the bottom and then just have like all of the iron ingots kind of filtering down forever, and all of the hoppers probably lagging out my world in the process. But yeah, I am I am curious about how anybody else is treating the search for a seed. So we'd love to hear from some people who are starting fresh in one dot twenty. Send us an email if you feel like writing in. For me this week, I, this is just like a smaller topic, but one of the things that I've been thinking about with 1.20 around the corner is, am I missing out on a lot of Minecraft features in the last year or two by focusing on such a large, long running project that was not planned to be two years plus from the get-go? Like I knew it was going to take me a long time. I did not realize it was going to take me two and a half years to get even just this far with West Hill. It's not done yet, you know, and um, I'd even thought like, oh, it might be done closest to the end of April or certainly before 1.20. Neither of those ideas were true. Um, and I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. I'm, I'm just I'm aware of, of this kind of thought process because I really enjoy working on West Hill. If I didn't enjoy it, I would easily like uh, jump ship and start doing other things, other projects in other areas that took advantage of the new content. But in the recent updates in 117 and 118, I did not do any real exploration or building or, you know, long-term projects ex- taking in the new terrain. I collected a little bit of drip leaf and some glowberry. Uh, I got some moss, you know, but these are all things that I wanted to use in West Hill. Uh, I've not explored the deep dark and ancient city. I haven't encountered the warden, you know, with West Hill being so build heavy and so redstone light, I haven't used skulk sensors, any, any of the family of the skulk blocks on the Citadel at all. Um, I have done some small projects like the moss farm and the spawn trunks. I was just in the mood to do some redstone stuff, but that moss farm was very much to provide me with all the moss I wanted to do the landscaping with in West Hill. And uh, Deep Slate has been incorporated into West Hill, but that was like one big dig. I just went far enough away from West Hill to dig down to find Deep Slate and just dug it for like an hour. And then just, you know, I've been relying on server mates actually in a lot of ways to drop off stuff as I need more materials. Um, some folks like Cosmic and even Steven and other people like Alistair have been kind enough to like lend me honey blocks and drop off Deep Slate that's overflowing their storage facility. And they're like, well, Joel's building this giant thing. this helps both of us i don't have to Mm -hmm. store it anymore i can't my minecraft brain won't let me destroy it so i'm just going to give it to joel and it works out you know mangrove wood has been moved into the city as well but like that was two trips since the release of 119 to our giant swamp that we found 
And it was just to sit there for 45 minutes and chop down trees and dig up some mud. And that's it. Like I didn't like stay or, you know, the experience was just simply to go get stuff and come back. Um, so with that, you know, like I, I really have been experiencing 1.19 and to the extent 1.17 and 18 through this podcast and through friends and watching other people play Minecraft because I haven't really taken advantage of, of most of the new features myself. And I think some of the pressure to pursue these new features in the game comes from being a content creator. Like I see the excitement from fans. I see the new projects and new worlds and new servers that happen, uh, the resetting of servers, you know, the breaks, you know, where you do the new life thing for a month or two uh, until, you know, all the details are worked out for how Empire season three or how Hermitcraft season 10 or whatever is going to happen. And you know, look, like I, I wonder, you know, if focusing on a project like West Hill, while it does come with some accolades and some wonderful compliments and, and it's getting some attention now, um, is putting me in a spot where I have the patience and dedication to finish it, but I feel like I'm just always not ready to take advantage and play, you know, the, with the new features. And yes, I could, like, I could just put Westall on pause and go for a few weeks and, and start something new. The problem with that is knowing myself and that I can be like a dog with a bone with a new project. And like, if it's going to be something that I really enjoy, I know I'm going to enjoy the change of pace from something like West Hill to doing like a redstone build with like skulk sensors and stuff. I, I feel like I would be pulled away from it for too long and I would lose the momentum. So like, I'm so close to finishing West Hill. Like I really want to push through. Um, I do have some, some ideas for using some of the 1.20 features, you know, like my 1.20 to-do list in West Hill includes things like hanging signs, chisel bookshelves, maybe some decorative pots, like that kind of stuff. Uh, I can certainly work into West Hill, but it's going to be, you know, I mean, the, the signs and the chisel bookshelves, like they don't even really require me to go anywhere. I just have to craft some stuff, right? Um, I have the iron, I have the wood, um, any new chests, I can use the new bamboo mechanic to like just make new chests rather than using existing wood. So there's a few things about 1.20 that are going to make finishing up West Hill a little bit more economical, you know, both from my time and from a resource perspective as well. Um, but yeah, as I continue to push West Hill into a finished state, I think that 1.20 features are going to be on the back burner. And those are things like armor trim, cherry grove trees, cherry wood, um, bamboo wood. And neither of those woods, I think, really work with what I've got going on in West Hill anyway. So I'm not... Yeah. I don't yeah. think I'm... I don't think I'd be doing myself a service by going to get cherry wood and cherry blossoms. I Every now and again, there might be a cool like place for a cherry um, leaf block as like a garden feature. So like I might just try to go get some or get some from a server mate just to kind of have it. But I'm not adding a cherry tree anywhere in in West Hill because it's just going to contrast with so much of what we've got going on there now. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Archaeology, like a lot of that stuff, trail ruins, they pull me away from West Hill rather than helping me build it. So, and that's the bulk of the 1.20 update. Like I've just got a, a couple of cool new block features and new crafting features that are going to help me along the way creatively. But like, I don't have a great draw with the West Hill project to then run out and enjoy the 1.20. And then when I am ready say I finish Westdale in a month or two I, at that point, does the 1.20, you know, content, has it lost its hot burn on the content creator scene, you know, in terms of like, am I missing out on new viewers? Am I not taking advantage of 
this hot new thing that's happening in Minecraft? Am I not bringing in enough, you know, new viewers to my content by just kind of staying true to what I'm doing and, and continuing on? And in a way, I feel like staying true to West Hill is an excellent argument for anybody that says I'm bored in Minecraft. I don't know what to do. <laughs> I'm just like, look, yeah. Minecraft has updated three times in the last two years and I've not really used most of it. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I am certainly creating my own fun. And so I feel like there, you know, like that is, is nice. And I, and again, I don't want to sound like I am at all upset about West Hill or I don't like it, or I'm starting to regret it or resent it. That's not the case at all. I'm very happy with, you know, the way things are going and enjoy the challenges along the way. Um, but I've just noticed that kind of pull that happens where like, I see people do modding series. I see, you know, I've diverged into doing some modding here and there myself, you know, over the last few years. And I just, it never sticks because ultimately I get invested. I start to want to play it more. And then I realize how much time it's pulling away from finishing Westall. And I feel the same way about like Minecraft updates in terms of like me being pulled away. I know that your situation is usually a situation of reset, a server being renewed or moving on to a different survival guide world when a new major update comes out. So I'm curious about your perspective on a large project um, being something that that pulls you away from or your, I guess, me even like even your tutorial series, like when you start over with the survival guide, do you feel like that's that day one Minecraft thing when some of the features of this of the new update or a lot of the features of the new update may not be like early minecraft friendly you know like does that do you feel like you're missing out had you been on a server that was a little bit farther along or or were part of a server like say hermitcraft where people like rush right to end game like day one dragon done you know and yeah. not has to, not have to worry about the pace of a tutorial series i'll be honest i enjoyed this the shift from 118 to 119 a lot because that's when i kept the survival guide season two world and was able to immediately go out and find a deep dark as soon as that world generation was part of the world right like i i already had a light i could already like traverse larger distances had my nether hub sort of going and there was a lot of that which was more immediately accessible and it felt like the content i wanted to go out and find instead of having to start the world from scratch and work up from wooden tools in in and then go and raid the ancient city maybe 40 or 50 episodes into a series i think it was it was nice to just jump straight into that stuff with this one it feels different and it's mainly just because of the amount of stuff that affects early game the fact that you have armor trim and stuff like I, I like the idea of adding that to your armor as you go instead of being like well i've already got my main suit of you know fully kitted out netherite armor let me just apply anything i want or like you know curate it and take my time i like the idea of just diving into everything headfirst as soon as i encounter it and it's the kind of thing that i'm going to encounter more frequently in a in a newer world in the past i've often tried to time the end of a project with the new release of an update so for example when survival guide season one ended i was trying to get that museum finished up until um 117 came out and then i, I took a break from survival guide to do empire season one and so that was kind of the idea was that I, I didn't end up finishing the museum in the end but i kind of wanted to give myself one big project one kind of last hurrah before moving on and it wasn't necessarily going to be moving on from the survival guide world until I heard that the terrain generation in the Caves and Cliffs update was going to be so massive. And that's the 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 
reason I decided to move on from the survival guide world to begin with. And now it's a lot more about, do I want a fresh start? Do I feel like it's a healthy thing to do? And then what's it going to get me in terms of early game content? When you, when it comes to missing out on these features, though, I think the long term always has to be considered. Like, selfish uh, impulse dictates that I want you to be there experiencing new 1.20 stuff as soon as the update comes out, because I think it's a fun way to talk about it on the podcast, with both of us kind of getting enthusiastic about finding cherry groves and whatnot. But I think, in reality, anybody who's going to get, like, a boost in, you know eyeballs on their content from uh from 1.20 has probably already got it from covering snapshots and while obviously the full release is going to get people excited for that stuff again it's going to suffer from diminishing returns because people have already been hearing about this stuff for a little while you know it's all been announced back in october or whenever right so i think there's going to be like diminishing returns from that and i think there's more value in sticking with something long term and understanding that these are not features that are going away anytime soon they're not going to be removed in the next update and you're not gonna it's minecraft doesn't do seasonal content that way so i think whenever you want to go out and find a cherry grove or you want to go and experience the deep dark it's going to be there for you and i know in your case you don't really dig the combat side of things and i i don't know quite where the warden falls on that line between combat and just like a stealth experience for you but it may not be the kind of thing that you necessarily enjoyed right away and you've talked about doing sci-fi projects in the past or like an asian inspired project in the past that would suit stuff like the skulk blocks or would suit cherry groves and bamboo wood a lot more so i think it's about going into those projects when you feel like you're ready to do them and that's going to be the thing that's most fulfilling for you regardless and that kind of thing is just going to come across in the audience that surrounds you anyway thanks yeah i i think that you know the the sci-fi and the skulk sensor and the redstone thing is de definitely where i want to go i think after westill in terms of like a nice change of pace and just everything from the visual design to functionality and have just a lot more kind of oh like, yeah um sci-fi would be still thematic but i would have some more flexibility i think like if i wanted to if i got the hankering to make like a custom biome i could pretend like some sci-fi you know like biodome you know like it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to make sense at all <laughs> you know it doesn't have to look yeah. like it's part of the natural world i can put it underneath a glass dome and say look i made a thing yeah. so there's stuff like that that's going to uh, allow me to do some some stuff more freely but i i think that um to, to like to your point of the fact that the, the features are always going to be there. And in a way, like there are some things that I'm just, you know, and I, I'm not going to throw anything under the bus here, but like there's definitely some features about 1.20 that I'm more interested in than others. And yeah, sure. Uh, and I think that, you know, I tended to, that's, that tends to be how I play Minecraft. And, you know, in terms of 119 stuff, yeah, the fighting or encountering the warden was not high on the list, still isn't. Um, yeah. I want to get some skulk sensors. So encountering the warden may be a thing. Like that may be a thing that has to happen in order for me to collect enough skulk <laughs> sensors for me to do what I want to do. So we'll see, you know, if I get good at it, if it's something that I, you know, enjoy and, and whatnot. And I, and I think that um, the other side of all of this is, as you said, experiencing that kind of stuff so I can talk about it a little bit more uh, currently on the podcast. And I and I think that that's something I want to try and do. I think the one thing that's kind of holding me back from uh, 
a big 1.20 jump. I shouldn't say the one thing, but like all of those things are part of it. But something else is that I am really close to finishing West Hill. It's, if I was halfway through, I'd be just like, all right, time for a break. You know, like just take a sure, month yeah, yeah. And, and go explore 1.20 and go set up something somewhere else and try to find where I'm going to build this sci-fi thing and establish all that and do some sort of like exploration. But like where I'm just so close to doing it, like I'm on like part 13 of my keep, you know, changes. Like once that's done, there's only a handful of things left to do around the area and Westhill is really finished. So yeah, that it being so close to finishing it, I, I think is probably one of the reasons why I can feel that pull of like, I'm not going to, to shift. I'm going to stick on, on Westhill, but why I'm looking at like the grass being greener on the other side of the fence, like, oh, you guys have all the new shiny stuff over there. I'm going <laughs> to finish my stone keep over here. And Again, like I'm enjoying it, but it's, it's one of those things that just, it does kind of like pop into my brain now and again. It's like when, you know, you whenever you get hit by imposter syndrome or, or you um, are just struggling with a build on your own and then you see some, some peer on a server just do something immaculate and you're just like, just stop it. You know, like it just, yeah. you start not, not, not necessarily jealous, but you're like, how come you hit the flow this week and I haven't yet? You know, like, yeah, and you know yeah. what happens. Like, you know that, because I, I have streams where like everything just kind of comes together really nicely. You know, I think you mentioned it last week. We're like house done, stream finished, like woohoo, mm -hmm. stamp, you know? And so I'm looking forward to that feeling again. I think you're probably coming into Skulk Sensors at a really good time, though, because That's calibrated true, yeah. Skulk Sensors mm. are going to be way more of a user-friendly experience than Skulk Sensors were when they were fresh out of the box. So I think you'll have you'll have a good time with that, and there'll be more like you know discoveries and stuff from the redstone community as a result of that. That's going to lead to some some pretty useful stuff in the near future, I imagine. Um, that's probably where we'll wrap up this episode of the Spawn Chunks, though, folks. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you folks are looking forward to the release of 1.20. As we mentioned before, we're probably going to conclude our thoughts on 1.19 in the next episode, because that'll only be two days away from 1.20 Trails and Tales coming out. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we talked about today in the meantime over at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join our community. Pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat. You can listen to the show live when we record it in Discord every week. We also have our monthly Minecraft audio hangout, and you can talk to everybody about what you been finding in 1.20 we currently have 311 patrons which is down a couple from last week so we'd love to welcome some new people in for a new month special thanks go out to our content engineer patrons hunter 555 jumbo sale party voyager and yitz thank you for your support on this episode sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show you can find us at the spawn chunks on twitter and instagram a personal recommendation is the best way to share the podcast just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and say you should listen to the spawn chunks it's on itunes spotify google podcasts and youtube really wherever you can find a podcast make sure to leave a rating and a review on your favorite platform you can email the show once again at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com the RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com and the patron only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixelriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixelriffs, where Empire's SMP is concluding. Season 3 of the Survival Guide will be starting up once 1.20 arrives, and in the meantime, there's also New Life SMP. 
I stream three days a week on Twitch, where I do behind-the-scenes work for the aforementioned YouTube series, and mostly, at these days, play Minecraft Bingo. I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. And aside from that, I'm at PixelRiffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything that I am up to online is linked at joelduggan.com. That includes the Citadel Cafe, my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. You can follow me at joelduggan on social media. Twitter and Instagram are the most active. I am on Twitch at Joel Duggan, where I stream every day but Monday, Minecraft most of the time, Lego on Fridays, and Satisfactory on Wednesdays. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, but make sure you're happy right here.